Um, so we're in Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 16, um, which is on page 1032, if you're in the church, Red Bibles. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their illnesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors of the church. I haven't had a chance to say hi to everyone. We've got some guests and visitors with us and some old friends as well. So it's good to be together. Let's, let's pray. And then we'll, um, if you keep that open at Luke 5, we'll, we'll dig into that together. Lord God, we, uh, we come to you. We've just read and received your word. And we pray... Holy Spirit, would you enliven and empower it today that it may be a living and active word in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, you know the state of each of us in mind and heart and soul this morning as we sit here. And we want to welcome your presence, acknowledge it, and welcome your work in us in this time. Please would you work in the ways that you know we need it. Would we be ready to hear, to listen, to respond, and to trust as you lead us? Amen. I wonder what things in your life bring you most a sense of personal shame. You know, shame is that feeling of being humiliated before others. On one level, it's kind of embarrassment. Embarrassment is essentially shame, and sometimes about seemingly kind of not that significant things. But it gets a lot more serious than that. And it's that feeling that others think poorly of me or disapprove of me in some way. And so I'm unfit to be around other people. And I just want to shrink back and hide. We can feel shame for the things that we've done that we deeply regret. But we can also feel a sense of shame for things that are not our fault at all. Things that have been done to us by others or for being a certain type of person who doesn't fit in for whatever reason or who's looked down upon. Shameful about the person I am and it's a sense of identity sometimes. Now, whatever the source or the reason for any shame that we, we may feel, the one thing that shame always does is it always separates and it always isolates You see, because we don't feel worthy to be with others or or we're scared that we'll be exposed and found out in some way by others. So we maybe retreat from others to avoid rejection. Shame makes our relationships difficult and fraught with worry. It keeps us from vulnerability and openness with others. All of us, in some way, carry a sense of shame. All of us do in some way. There's those parts of our life that we think nobody can touch, we want nobody to see, and so we kind of recover them up, or we try and forget them and, and press on. Now, as, as, as we think about shame together this morning, I just want us to ask the question, is there another way to deal with our 
shame? Is there anything better that can be done? Is there even a chance that it might be removed rather than buried? And the man suffering with leprosy that we just read about in Luke 5, I think he would say, yes, there is a better way and there is another way for us to process our shame. See, he knew this experience of shame. He knew the experience of isolation and, 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 and uh, this suffering that was so great that became his identity. He became known as a leper. That's what he was called. And everything in his life was shaped about the experience of being a leper, of having this particular disease. And then one day, one encounter with Jesus turned his whole life around in an instant. And so as we see what happened for him when he met Jesus, then we'll see what can happen for us with our shame. Now, I'm sorry, this morning I, I, I messed up, and so I haven't got slides, um, but, but I've got three things that I kind of really want us to take away. So if you're writing stuff down, I'll, I'll tell you what the points are. And here's the first one. It's our experience of being unclean. Our experience of being unclean. And this is particularly from verse 12. What we need to do is we really need to get hold of this man's experience so that we see what Jesus did for him, and that, then we see how it's relevant to our lives today. Some of you were at a recent um, event that we, we helped organize with some other churches and charities across the city, a science and faith event on mental health and spirituality. And the speaker there, a guy called Reverend Professor John Swinton, he's both a reverend and a professor in, um, I think, um, I don't know, psychotherapy or something, or, or things to do with mental health. He explained the difference between um, someone who is unwell, whether it's mental or physical unwellness, the difference between them being cured and being healed. And he said to be cured is to be made, made better from a physical or a mental ailment, a very necessary thing. But he said it's an altogether different thing to be healed. That's far bigger and more significant. And to be healed means to be made well in both body and in soul. For your, all of your life to be restored, including your mental and your emotional and your relational life in all aspects. And, and he said it's possible to be cured, made physically or in some senses mentally well, and yet not healed. Think of the example, you might have an elite athlete who physically is an absolute specimen and yet their life could be an absolute mess. They're cured, they're physically well but not healed, they're not holistically well. They've got all sorts of relational and emotional problems. I think that's a helpful perspective for, for this text. This man is desperate and he realizes his problems are far deeper and far wider than some physical disease. He needs not only cure, curing but healing. You see, leprosy today is, is relatively treatable with, with antibiotics, but back then it was basically a living death sentence. Leprosy, the, 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 Bible, the footnote tells us, is a, a name for a variety of serious contagious skin diseases. Uh, this, it's a bacterial infection that attacks the nervous system and therefore through that affects the whole body. Uh, and when it kind of takes hold of someone's body, it leads to all sorts of disfigurement uh, and deformity if it's not treated appropriately. And Luke tells us, do you know, that this man is covered, or you could say filled up with leprosy. This is a serious and an advanced case. He's had it a long time. It's spread everywhere. And back then, the only way that they could control this terrible disease of leprosy was containment. So, so the disease doesn't only just run rife through someone's body, but the disease runs rife through their whole life. A sufferer had to leave their family and their friends. They had to move out of town. They had to cut off with contact with all people apart from other lepers. And they kind of ended up living in these colonies of lepers. They lost their home, their job, their income. They lost everything. 
And just imagine if, if you know, if, if, if back then, if I kind of, the, the rash appeared and I realized I had leprosy, I wouldn't even be able to go and kiss my kids goodbye for fear of infecting them. You just get out straight away and you're gone. And so the lepers lived as social outcasts. They didn't have FaceTime or Zoom or any other way of staying connected safely from a distance. They had to wear unclean clothes. And whenever they came near to people, just imagine this, they had to shout at the top of their voice, unclean, unclean. Basically saying, everyone stay back, stay away, don't come anywhere near to me. Imagine that as your daily experience of life. You're physically deformed. You're isolated. You're you're left to begging to get by. You're rejected by everyone. The the shame of that, the emotional suffering. It's hard for us to imagine. Um, It it really is. But I I guess we got a little taste of it in relation to COVID. For the first time, for most of us, we experienced something of the hardship of living with even the threat of a contagious virus that isolates us and separates us and in some ways makes us a threat to one another. And the thing about COVID, isn't it, the the worst thing for most of us, not all, because I know many people died and and, and that, that was a terrible thing to happen, but for most of us, the worst thing wasn't the physical threat to our health, but it was the mental and the emotional and the social and the spiritual health that was impacted through lockdowns and restrictions and isolation and all of these things. Those are the things in this church we're still dealing with today and and the reverberations of that in people's lives. So so when it comes to to this leper and he comes to Jesus, we've got to see he's looking for so much more than just some disease to be healed, to be cured of it, the the skin disease to be taken away. No, he wants restoration of his whole life. He wants all that leprosy has stolen and corrupted and taken away. He wants it back. He wants it to be healed. And so in desperation, he comes to Jesus, and, and we read that he falls on his, with his face to the ground. And it's quite interesting. Last week, we saw Peter do uh, something very similar. And Peter was overwhelmed last week, we saw, by a sense of his sin and his guilt in the, in the face of the power and the perfection of Jesus. This man falls um, with his face on the ground because of his shame and his unworthiness. It's a slightly different thing going on. That's what drives him to his knees. I guess he's heard stories of, of Jesus, his teaching, his miracles. Jesus is starting to make a name for himself at this point. And, and so he hopes that Jesus is different to everyone else. And so for all of the, the shame that he feels, he has some hope and he has some faith. Maybe Jesus can help me out. Is Jesus maybe willing to help me out? And so he does what no leper ever should do. He approaches a clean person in his uncleanness. And he begs him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Here's a really significant thing for this leper. He brought his shame to Jesus and he asked him to deal with it for him. He asked him to make him clean. Lord, you can. Will you? Essentially saying, I, I know this guy can do it, but I'm not sure I'm worth it. He's not doubting Jesus' goodness to heal, but I think he's got like a shame hangover because everything and everyone has told him for years, you're not worthy. We reject you. Stay away. You're full of shame. Even those who maybe wanted to help him, say his family, they couldn't, so they couldn't draw near to him. And so he has this sense of helplessness that he just doesn't, 
He thinks he's beyond it. And yet he has hope and faith enough to ask Jesus, I believe you can. Will you? You see, when it comes to our needs and our wants, it's our job to bring them to God and to ask him. God, this is, this is what I bring to you. This is what I am. This is, this is what's going on. Here it is. It's our job to bring it, and it's God's job to answer. Jesus, I know you can sort this out. I know you can do this, that, or the other. What's your will here? It's not our role to demand. It's not our role to predict or to name it and claim it. But it's our place to ask honestly in faith and humbly submit to the answer we receive and to trust. Lord, I'm unclean. You can make me clean. Please, will you make me clean? And before we, we, we go on with the story, I just want to pause for a moment and reflect on the experience of being unclean. This is the first point, our, um, our experience of being unclean. I can't remember how I said it. Yeah, our experience of being unclean. And let's just pause and reflect on that for a moment. Now, there's something to learn, you see here, about how we treat the lepers, quote-unquote, of, of our day, those that society says and treats as unclean, those whose shame is on display, it's written across their face and their very life, that their shame is so great that it's become their identity and it defines them as a badge and it frames how everyone treats them. And, and you know who these people are because we call them by the thing that, that brings such shame to them. So someone who says, I am a schizophrenic. That's the thing that comes with shame in our society. I am an addict. I am a criminal. I am a down and out. There's other things we could say. And and listen, Jesus is here showing us a better way that we can treat people and draw near to them and humanize their suffering and reach out and love them. I'm sure we see that here. But But that's not the main or the first thing I think we see. First thing we see is how much more like the leper we are than we are like Jesus. See, leprosy in the Bible, it's a picture of the defilement of sin. It represents how moral corruption spreads through our whole person, through our mind and our heart and our soul, and it causes such damage and destruction through all of our life. And so maybe some of us this morning need to see our uncleanness, see our need of help. That's a key thing for anyone to realize before they'll ever see the point or the need of Jesus. Maybe that's something that you need to be aware of this morning. But as as I said earlier, shame is not only about our sin. And there's no suggestion here, I think, that this man has leprosy because of something he did wrong or any fault or sin of his own. He carries an experience of shame every day because of what he is suffering and the stigma that that, that comes with it. And so for many of us, shame clings close due to things that have been done to us. Things we've suffered or experienced that aren't our fault or, or even a stigma that, that, that we have or a prejudice in, in our context, in our society because of who we are or where we're from or, or, or the things that we're suffering. And, you know, that, that, that can be so severe for some of us and for some people in our church and in our community that you could say our lives are filled up with shame. They're covered with it. shapes everything that we do and that we face and we experience. I guess if that's our experience, we're going to feel 
unworthy of anyone's love or anyone's friendship or their affection or their acceptance. We're going to feel unlovable and untouchable. And there's so much that communicates that to us over and over. Everything and everyone we touch doesn't turn to gold, but we set on fire, we say. Well, in whatever ways we feel shame, whatever ways we're aware of our uncleanness, here's the thing that we learn from this man with leprosy. Bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Have you said that? Does your heart cry that out today? Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Here's here's the second thing we see. Our experience of uncleanness or being, uh, being unclean, Jesus' willingness and power to make us clean. Jesus' willingness and power to make us clean. This is verse 13 and 14. Do you see the first thing that Jesus does in verse 13? Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. He didn't recoil. He didn't stand back at a safe distance, kind of pull, pull his robe up over his face, hold his nose and tolerate. He didn't even heal from a safe distance, which we know he can do, don't we? That would have been a perfectly fine way to heal the man. But Jesus moves forward. He reaches out toward the unclean man and where he is. He dignifies him and his struggle. And in compassion and love, we've seen the compassion of Jesus many times lately, he touches this man who is unclean. This is absolutely revolutionary. This man may not have been touched by another person for years. Jesus reaches out and he touches him. He touches the untouchable and he loves the unlovable. Jesus' ministry at this point is kicking off. The crowds are pressing in. He's making a name for himself. Yet he takes the time to go and reach out to and touch the leper. Now what should happen What usually happens is that uncleanness spreads. In Jesus' day, a contagious disease like leprosy makes the person who is well, unwell. The uncleanness spreads from from the leper to to the other person. And so according to public health at that time, and even the religious law of Jesus' day, Jesus would be made unclean by this touch. But not with Jesus. When he comes into contact with the unclean, rather than making him unclean, he makes the unclean clean. He cleanses what he touches. He cleanses those who he touches. We're going to come back to this in a moment, but I just want a bit of a side note here. I think we can see something of the uh, the value of human touch that sometimes communicates more than a thousand words. Now, I'm aware you can misapply and misuse what I'm about to say in any number of ways, and please don't do that. But Physical presence with each other, physical touch of each other is a significant thing in the kingdom of God. Research in our country into loneliness of older people in our society shows that one of the hardest things is going weeks on end without any physical touch with other people. And some people experience that in our community. And that is not the way that people have been designed to live. Weeks and weeks without any physical touch. In the family of God, this is what I want to say and apply it carefully. Appropriately, appropriate family style touch and physical contacts out of love and care for others is incredibly life-giving. Incredibly 
appropriate and helpful. A well-timed side hug, a, a pat on the shoulder, a shake of the hand, sometimes a hug in an appropriate context, and, and all, all of those things considered, with the consideration and respect for the personal preferences and boundaries of other people. Some of us know people who we really ought not go and give a hug to, and so don't do that. But reaching out in physical touch can draw in, can welcome, can love, can accept, can ground, can dignify, can encourage people. This isn't a license for anything unwanted, abusive, sexual, manipulative, any of that, okay? But in appropriate context, it can be a greatly powerful thing. Now, we are working against the grain of British culture here, aren't we? We can be so distant and standoffish, and some of you who have moved here from other cultures have to put up with us and be gracious to us in that. It is important for us to work on the warmth of our engagement and our interaction with others around us to love well. And that's an important part of what it means for us to become ever more a diverse family. So, maybe one to discuss in gospel families. Back here, though. Jesus touched this man, and he followed it with these words. I am willing. Be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left the man. Here is his heart and the mind of Christ to poor, afflicted sinners and sufferers. He is willing from the depths of his heart, and he offers us cleansing. I am willing. Be clean. There's a great book that many of us have appreciated in the last few years called Gentle and Lowly, where an author called Dane Altman writes about these things. Again, sorry it's not on the screen, but here's this quote. Uh, just listen to this. The dominant note left ringing in our ears after reading the Gospels, that's the life accounts of Jesus in the Bible, the most vivid and arresting element of the portrait is, what's the dominant note left ringing? What's the most vivid and arresting uh, element of the portrait? It's the way that the Holy Son of God moves toward, touches, heals, embraces, and forgives those who least deserve it, yet truly desire it. It's the way Jesus in his uncleanness comes near to those who are not clean. And it's music this man's is. Jesus is willing and it is done. And, and I guess the disease, as it leaves his body in an instant at the word of Jesus, you, there's some visible restoration and, and you know, the skin's clearing up before uh, the, the people who are there's eyes. But remember, not only is his body cured, but in an instant his soul is also cleansed. And his whole life is restored too. He's healed in that bigger sense. The stains on his soul of sin, but also his shame that he carries, the systemic oppression, the social isolation, the broken relationships with others, in an instant wiped clean, new start, rest restoration. And Jesus restores honor and dignity to a man who hasn't known it for years, and maybe decades. It's amazing. Such good news, isn't it? And so it's really surprising, verse 14. The next thing Jesus does, he says, don't tell anyone what's happened to you today. The guy's like, what? Don't tell anyone. No, just go to the priest, offer a sacrifice as a testimony to them. 
Now, this seems strange to us, doesn't it? Why wouldn't Jesus want the guy to go and tell everyone he knows about what's happened? Well, this is the early part of Jesus' ministry, and we see him say this at various other points. And, uh, and he doesn't want the word uh, about him to spread because he's not about becoming a populist leader with the crowds flocking to a traveling magician and, and, and healer. He knows that when that starts to happen, it's going to accelerate his rejection by the religious authorities, which will inevitably lead to his death on the cross. He's going to get there. He knows that's where he's heading, but... Not yet. In his time, he will get there. He's got other stuff to do first. He wants to spend time with and pour into these disciples that he's going to train in what it means to live in the kingdom of God and, and to preach the gospel in all the world. He's got, got signs and wonders that he wants to perform to, to validate and, and authenticate his ministry and so people know. And so he's showing people what he offers to them. He's got more teaching that he needs to, to flesh out. So he doesn't want the man to go and tell everyone yet, but he does say, go to the priest and and offer the sacrifices that that Moses commanded. And we think, what's going on there? Why does he say that? Well, I think a number of things. Jesus is committed to keeping and upholding the religious law that was still in force in his time. So he does that. He wants him to be a witness to the priest of who Jesus is and what he does. And so it's going to be a testimony to him of what's happened. He wants him to offer the sacrifice Moses commanded. It's in Leviticus 13 and 14. That when someone's been healed of leprosy, they go and give a sacrifice to praise and thank God. This is something that God's done for me. And so it's a sacrifice, an offering of praise, recognizing his cleansing and restoring. But I think perhaps most significantly, the reason he sent to the priest is because the priest needed to examine and pronounce someone clean of leprosy. The the priest needed to issue, it's like going to see the doctor, issue the the clean bill of health and give a a certificate so the man could experience the fullness of reintegrating into into relationships and into society and experience the fullness of his healing. You know, in recent years, um, I think they're kind of, it's almost gone now, but, but... you needed to have a negative PCR result or, or, or a certificate saying you could fly to travel places, didn't you? And it's like getting that kind of, it's getting that certificate or that result. Yes, life can go on as, as normal. So this trip to the, plea, uh, to the priest is the, is the final part of this man's healing. Once he's been to the priest, he can go back home, live with his family. He can hold his children in his arms again. He can kiss his wife and hug his friends and he can go to work and, and life is restored. He's not only cured, but he's healed. And he praises God for all he has and all he has received through and in Jesus. What a beautiful picture this is for us. What a beautiful picture, isn't it? Of our own spiritual cleansing in Christ. God's word promises us this. It promises us as Christians that our hearts are cleansed by faith. And if anyone is in Christ, says in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. And the old is gone for good, and the new is here to stay, is the idea there. If you're a Christian, that is true for you. Do you believe that? Do you know that? If, if you're in Christ, you've been cleansed by him. The old is gone, and the new is here to stay. You are not what you once were. Sin and shame Don't count anymore. Your soul is washed clean. Your heart is cleansed by and in Christ. Part of the ritual uh, with the priest was to to shave the hair off and and to burn all of the old clothes uh, because because the the, the cured leper is now a new person. So you get rid of everything uh, that's gone. The past is done with and the new person is here. Jesus is willing and powerful 
to make Ukraine. Here's, here's the third thing I want us to see, and, and, and this is what we will close with. We need to see here the cost of making us clean. Verses 15 and 16, the cost of making us clean. See, despite Jesus' request, don't, don't go and tell, don't go and tell uh, everyone. We read that news about him spreads all the more, and I wonder how that happens. Actually, Mark tells us, when he retells this story, the man went and blabbered it everywhere. He told everyone and anyone that would listen. He completely ignored Jesus' words. He shouted from the rooftops, do you know what this man did for me? Come and meet this man. Come get cleansing for where you need it. You have no idea what he can do for you. And so Jesus goes viral, and the crowds flock to meet him, and they come to hear him teach, and they come to have him heal them of their illnesses. And, and, and I, I just love that. Kind of, you, you imagine this crowd flocking, and, and they wouldn't have all been lepers, would they? Maybe some of them would have been lepers, but, but whatever their illness, whatever their place and point of need, wherever they need cleansing, they, they come to Jesus and they bring it to him. And in faith, they seek the renewal and the restoration that they alone need and he alone can bring. And so the crowds are crowding in, and Jesus is teaching and healing, and then he surprises us again. Verse 16. And then Jesus withdraws to lonely places. Not out of annoyance, not out of frustration, but he withdraws out of love. Because he withdraws away from them to do what? To pray. To pray for them. Well, Jesus often did this. If you're familiar with his life story, you know that. And, and he had a life rhythm and a habit of, of doing this. And amidst all the busyness of life and ministry, of all of these great needs of people crowding in around him and pressing in on him, Jesus had a priority to retreat and to pray. You see, Jesus, as a human just like us, it cost him to do ministry to people. It, it took something from him to heal people. It was tiring for him to teach people. Being amongst people took a toll on him to answer their questions, to serve them. Elsewhere, Jesus talks about his power going out from him in the case of healing somebody. And so Jesus was in a regular habit of withdrawing from people into moments and spaces of retreat where he would pray, where he would gather new strength and gather power for the ministry that was at hand. He had this pattern of life to sustain his being amongst people, and his ministry to them. Whenever anything significant is happening in the ministry and life of Jesus, you see him praying around it, not least the night before he goes to the cross. We ought not be surprised, you see, that ministry, that serving others, it costs us something. That's not a wrong thing when it's costly, when it hurts, when it's hard. Not necessarily. We need to figure out how to learn from Jesus and how to do the ministry that God has called us to, the ministry that God has set before us in healthy and sustainable ways, how to get the right inputs that can sustain our outputs, how to develop practices of healthy rhythm and times of rest, and how to prioritize prayer. An old old Scouser preacher, J.C. Ryle, again, would be on, on the screen, but here's a quote that he says. He says, the cause of Christ does not need less working but it does need among the workers more praying. Not less working, but among the workers more praying. Now, 
part of the ritual that the priest would go through uh, when the leper went to present his sacrifice for cleansing is, is there'd be a sacrifice offered of a bird, and, uh, and the blood of the bird would be sprinkled over the man to pronounce him clean. Literally, he'd be splattered with blood. So, so the leprosy is gone, but he's kind of he's bathed in this blood of sacrifice. I think that's a helpful picture of what it ultimately cost Jesus to cleanse us and to restore us. You see, a life and a ministry that was punctuated with regular retreat to be with Father God in prayer would culminate in that eternal communion between Father and Son being strained to the limit as Jesus went to the cross all alone and had the experience of being forsaken by Father God. Jesus experienced that as he took all of our sin on himself, as he took on the greatest shame in all of history, as he experienced God's right anger and hatred for all evil. And God's word tells us he scorned that shame as he poured out his blood to offer us a new relationship with God and to cleanse our souls and our lives. You see, it would cost Jesus nothing short of his own life to restore us. It costs his blood pouring out to, in effect, sprinkle us in his blood so that we may be clean. And it cost him all that. And through that event, through that death on the cross, he has proven to us. He has shown us once for all that we ought never doubt it. I am willing. I am willing. I'm willing to deal with your sin. I'm willing to deal with your shame. I'm willing to make you clean. So be clean. So all that's left for us to do, I think, and this this is where I close, is to come. Whatever your uncleanness, whatever your issues, bring them to Jesus. Lay them before him. Trust him for cleansing. Ask him for cleansing, for renewal, and for restoration. The leper through this story bids you come. Bids you bring it. I invite you to come. And Jesus says that any who come to him with such a heart and such a crest, he will never, ever turn away and he will never deny. So will you come? Let's pray. Jesus, we, we see in stories like this, which are true and really happen, just, I guess maybe just the smallest insight into your goodness and your perfection and your holiness your cleanness. We become aware too of our uncleanness and we are just amazed and astounded that you would welcome and invite and even bid us to come. That you are willing, that your heart is willing, that you have shown and proved it to us through your life and through your death and through your resurrection. And so all that remains to ask is, will we come? Lord, any here who have not yet come, in their heart before you in this way. I pray this morning they would. Those of us who have, Lord, and yet need to come again and need to receive your cleansing and, and to live out the reality of these things and to experience it afresh, who need to live in this new life that we have in you and not in the old life of, of sin and shame, Lord, would you help us in our hearts even now to come? With the words of these songs that we sing help us, would the supper, the Lord's supper that we're about to take help us as well to come and to receive all that you have for us? We praise you and we love you and we thank you. Amen.